Growing up uh, in Long Island, I thought for eh, the first 10 to 12 years of my life, I wanted to be a car dealer. And so at around 12 or 13, I think it was my elementary or middle school graduation, someone got me a book called The Art of Sports Casting. I mean, I realized I loved it. I sort of found my voice a little bit, and that led, you know, by my freshman year of high school, I still, or I knew, you know, I was going to go to school for sports broadcasting. The, you don't, you end up using, give or take, hard to put a number on it, 15 to 20% at most of the preparation. So you go in knowing that. Um, and the ability and, and the challenge, I think, as a broadcaster, as, as you grow, initially you want to dump it all out. Let me show you how much prep I've done. The skill is interweaving it at just the right moment. I was reading a book um, called Grit by Angela Duckworth, and she talked about uh, your work having purpose. So I thought, well, what does a broadcaster do besides my own fulfillment of doing these games and how fun it is? So, but what I realized is, you know, people, they listen to you before they go to bed at night. You're improving their trip to the office. You're improving what might be a 45-minute car ride to the doctor. Um, and you're enhancing people's enjoyment of the game. So there's an art in that, and a lot of it goes back to what we talked about in terms of the mechanics and that rhythm, you know. It's like music is an art. Uh, the same thing for broadcasting. You know, anything where you're crafting, whether you're creating the image on radio or supplementing the image on television, Welcome to episode 123 of American Reel, where this week we talk baseball and the art of broadcasting with this week's guest, Jacob Wilkins. Jacob is currently the lead broadcaster for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, the New York Mets, AA affiliate. Previously, Jacob worked in the Big Apple, where he anchored reports for WFAN, CBS Sports Radio, and Sirius XM Radio, along with broadcasting games for LIU Brooklyn. While at the fan, Jacob filled in to host the Yankees postgame show, along with contributing to the station's coverage of the New York Giants, New Jersey Devils, and Brooklyn Nets. I'm glad we caught up with Jacob, who shared his personal playbook, because there's no doubt he'll one day end up in the bigs. And speaking of playbooks, have you thought about your personal playbook for writing your very own bestseller? Join me and Andre Heichel Jr. starting January 1st, 2020, for an interactive incubator course to birth your own book. Check out the show notes for details. And now, without further ado, I bring to you Jacob Wilkins. Welcome to another edition of American Real. This is Roger Brooks. My special guest today is Jacob Wilkins. You are the lead broadcaster and voice of the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. Jacob, welcome to the show. Oh, Roger, thanks so much for having me. I've wanted to sit down with you uh, for a couple of months now because we have a mutual friend, mm -hmm. Bill Orban, who said you have to meet this young guy. <laughs> uh, he's dynamic. He's from New York. He's had great training. 
Uh, we're going to talk a lot about mm -hmm. that today, but it's so great to sit down uh, with you today to chat about my favorite sport, baseball. Oh, my pleasure, Roger, and uh, have looked forward to this for a while. So take us back early days. When did you know or when did you think that you wanted to become a broadcaster? So, Roger, I started growing up uh, in Long Island. I thought for eh, the first 10 to 12 years of my life, I wanted to be a car dealer. I would go to showrooms, car dealers with my parents. My dad would take me around to do uh, test drives. You know, Saturdays like this were spent at the Mazda dealership checking out the new Miata. I even sat, they would lease from a company, and I would uh, sit in those meetings and advise at the last minute uh, if I thought we should go with the Camry or the Accord or an Infiniti. Uh, and somehow, and that's still a hobby of mine, uh, and I read Motor Trend and that sort of thing. Okay. But at some point, you know, I wasn't a ball player. A lot of broadcasters, their story is of realizing they couldn't make it in the bigs and then saying, well, what's, what's the next best thing? For me, I don't know what the exact moment was where I realized it was a fit, but when I realized it, it was a fit around 12 or 13, this idea of my dad had taken me to some ball games. Uh, he grew up and is still uh, a big Yankees fan, so we spent quite a bit of time at Yankee Stadium. And I just realized somehow that marriage of um, broadcasting and baseball initially made a lot of sense. And so at around 12 or 13, I think it was my elementary or middle school graduation, someone got me a book called The Art of Sportscasting. And it was by a broadcaster named Tom Hendrick, who is in Kansas, uh, I think did stuff for KU, uh, Kansas basketball. And it said that broadcasters like Marv Albert and so forth would bring tape recorders to their games as a kid or when they were kids and do mock broadcasts. And so I said, well, I'm going to try this. And so for Yankee games and for, we went to a lot of Hofstra basketball games. That was about five minutes from where I grew up. Okay. I brought the tape recorder. I did mock preparation. I created a fake Yes Network radio, which uh, fortunately I didn't get sued for copyright infringement. <laughs> and people actually at the ballpark sort of enjoyed hearing it. Uh, you would think, you know, the Bronx, Yankee fans, they don't want someone doing play-by-play, -play, but uh, the female demographic in particular, if their husbands uh, were ignoring them, found it to be an enjoyable uh, supplement. And so I actually think, though, seriously, it made me better. I mean, I realized I loved it. I sort of found my voice a little bit, and that led, you know, by my freshman year of high school, I still, or I knew you know, I was going to go to school for sports broadcasting. I took a visit. It's funny, we're not that far from the Newhouse School at Syracuse. I think we took a visit there, you know, quite early on in my high school career. I ended up going to Penn State where I got a wonderful education. Um, and so throughout, in different ways, as you said, the training wheels have sort of been on. And it's a craft that you continually just try to perfect. That's so cool. I, I get the chills when you talk about it. Because I had the opportunity to interview Colin Cowherd mm -hmm. um, earlier this year. And one of the things he talked about, because this is exactly how he got started in, in minor league baseball, uh, he said he got an inning a week. Yep. And for him, it was all about getting the reps in, right? The, the practice, uh, the repetition. Um, but your story, that's really neat. Your dad brought you to these games and, and, spent, and, and gave you that forum, that, that platform, right, to be able to do at a young age what you right. loved. And we actually, there was another family friend that would come with us, and we fired Dad pretty quickly off the color analyst slot. Uh, okay. You know, uh, didn't want any nepotistic, uh, you know, uh, suspicions. No, he, he was certainly, both my parents were fully supportive. And yeah, whoever, my dad and whoever was with us at the game would sort of serve as de facto analyst. That was almost the, uh, the obligation. But, no, I think my parents realized this was a serious passion early on. Um, and I've come to appreciate when I mentor young kids today, I say you don't have to have that laser focus. I understand it's unique. And, um, you know, the rest sort of took off from there. That's great. So tell us about Penn State. What did you do there? What did you study? And did you get into any broadcasting uh, while you were in college? Yeah, so the, the unique thing with Penn State, 
Uh, I had met with professors, Steve Jones, the voice of Penn State football and basketball, even when I was in high school. It was a very accessible program. And so the big thing was you could get involved right off the bat. So there's a station, Com Radio, that's thriving, Internet-based radio station. And I was doing Penn State women's volleyball games, and Penn State women's volleyball has been enormously successful uh, by November of my freshman year. And it was just a matter of and doing a show about Penn State sports. And I tell college kids today, I mean, it's like free networking because people want to help. And some of the relationships I've formed just from having guests on that show that I did are still relationships and people that I know today. But I think really by my junior year, I was doing – we had created – we had had some pre- and post-game coverage, but – we created more complete pre- and post-game coverage surrounding Penn State football, and that was a big thing as well. Obviously, Steve Jones, who I mentioned, did um, the adult, as I call it, for broadcast on Learfield. But the student station had access to do every game. And you, everyone you know, that was uh, quite involved at least did one or two a year, and then we did pre- and post-games surrounding all the games. So there was a chance to interview Brent Musburger and – just different people that professors were supportive of and would put you in touch with. Um, and then the opportunity as well, and this is sort of how Penn State prides itself, is you know you do good coursework, you get that hands-on experience, and then internships. And so another person I met my junior year who's served as a real mentor to me is a man named Bob Martin. He's our assistant dean of career placement and internships. And he saw early on I wanted to be involved. And so my freshman year, or after my freshman year, I was interning at WCBS 880 at the time, the home of the Yankees radio broadcast. And, you know, got to sit in the booth with John Sterling and Susan Waldman and learn the nuts and bolts of, of radio. And I did internships every summer after that. Uh, yes Network, ABC7, the local affiliate in New York, and then with WFAM, which obviously uh, proved to be a good decision. Oh, that's so awesome. And uh, a lot of young kids listen to the show, especially uh, with titles like, like yours here. <laughs> but it's good. I'd love for you to just touch on um, the importance of putting yourself out there, right? So if you could take us back to when you were in, yep. in college, mm -hmm. it sounds like you were ambitious, right? Yes. And how important is that for kids to, to be ambitious? I think you have to be at least proactive, an initiator. It's broadcasting is so unique, Roger. It's not like going to medical school with respect to the difficulty of being a doctor or a surgeon or a lawyer, but there's a structure. Um, and so in broadcasting, there's too many. There, there's uh, the supply uh, is not nearly the demand, and everyone you know wants to be in these uh, at least perceived as glamour industries so i think first you have to have a passion before you because if you're ambitious about something you're not passionate about then you're just really driving into a wall eventually and you'll be burnt out uh, or you're ambitious about something because your parents say you should be ambitious about it you know it it just won't work um and so there was a natural passion and a want to um and that's what i i you know when i uh, do a lot of mentoring at Penn State uh, as well, to me, I'm looking for someone to not be over the top or arrogant, but I want, you know, why would I help someone that doesn't want to help themselves? Right. Um, you want to see that initiative, someone that says, let's get on the phone, let's grab coffee. Um, and then they follow up, you know, a few months down the road and they write the thank you notes, you know, not because I need the pat on the back, but it just shows a maturity. Um, you don't see that that often, and it certainly stands out. That's awesome. Okay, so you get through college. Right. What I did. a great experience. Yes. Um, you talked about internships. Right. Where did you go from there? So my first job, or I, uh, let me fast or, or rewind to in my senior year of college, Bob Martin, who I mentioned, and he doesn't get paid by uh, how many plugs he gets, uh, <laughs> is, is said, you should go to the baseball winter meetings. And I'm not trying to diminish the importance of classwork here, but I go, Bob, I think I have finals that week. Um, he goes, no, you, you got to go. Uh, there's a job fair there, and people hear about the baseball winter meetings where trades go down, where there's All rumors. The time, right? Yeah. Right. But there's yeah, more than that. <laughs> yeah, but it's really one big convention. It's mm. a 
Major League Baseball convention. It's a chance for uh, major league clubs to interact with and celebrate sort of the season with the minor league affiliates. Uh, a lot of awards are given out. It's a big minor league baseball summit. There's a trade show where minor league um, executives go and will look to see, all right, I need a new vendor for hot dogs, or you put the billboards up this way on the on the fence. Um, and they use it as a hiring platform for a multitude of positions. Most of the people that go to the job fair probably are looking for the broadcast positions. So the short story of this was I went out to Indianapolis totally in over my head, Roger. I was just flailing resumes of people, not the way you should go into a convention. Um, and But I, I applied for a job uh, with the Hudson Valley Renegades. I did not really follow up on it, which was a mistake, um, or just that's not my normal practice. And they reached back out in April. They had hired a lead broadcaster. Uh, that person was looking for a number two broadcaster for 500 bucks a month. I'm sorry, no, no. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Unpaid. This was totally unpaid. Next year was 500 bucks a month. Um, but I was just looking for the experience. And so I had that opportunity and the chance to do, I think, independent league baseball in North Carolina. And it made sense to go with the Renegades or the Rays short season affiliate. And so went with them uh, and got great experience. And so that was my first job. Uh, they actually, I was below the level of intern, um, but they were great people. I mean, really well-run ownership group, the Gold Clan group. I learned, uh, you know, really the marketing elements as well of, how they would create a theme and create promotions and all that, and got the you know experience of calling you know whatever seventy uh, home games or less than you know thirty to forty whatever it came out to, and so that was my first job. And then the year after that, I became the lead broadcaster. That was the five hundred dollar a month wow. job. So uh, and that then I got to do all the games, and uh, um, that was sort of the first true professional play by play job. It's, it's a fascinating career. It's an exhausting. I feel exhausted <laughs> telling you about it, Roger. <laughs> but let's talk about yep. the mechanics of it. And it yep. sounds like you've done a lot more than baseball. You said you did yep. volleyball, some football. Yep. Uh, I saw your reel. You did basketball. Right. Um, and earlier off camera, you talked about uh, this business being a rhythm. Mm -hmm. Can you expand on that? And I would say the broadcast is a rhythm. Uh, and... The beauty of it is it's a subjective broadcast. You could watch five different, let's say, NBA games that season just started. Each announcer is going to have a different style. But I view the broadcast as like music. Um, you want to time the call so you're calling the bucket as it goes in and the crowd reacts. Am I going to say it's, it's a word challenge? I don't want to say the same verbiage each time. Uh, for baseball. People will say, do you have a home run call? I never have. Now, plenty of people have been very successful having one. It would have to be natural. But to me, no home runs the same. And so a ball that just gets over the wall is different from one that's 500 feet. Am I going to say gone? Am I going to say goodbye? How am I going to inflect? Uh, and these are not things, these are, this is all happening very quickly. Uh, and, and some of it's intuitive. Even a ball being outside or just a hair outside, uh, just missing off the plate, all these different ways you can describe the action. Then I'm incorporating my analyst into it. I believe my philosophy is that I want to set up my analyst for success. Someone, uh, Ian Eagle, who does games for CBS and the Nets, has always talked about that. Yeah. Uh, and very few people are better at working with and bringing out the best in their analysts. Um, particularly on television, it's an analyst medium, but on radio as well. Bill Orban does the games with me. Now, there's natural chemistry with Bill and I, um, but still it's that flow, and Bill knows when to get out. When the pitch is coming in, with radio, you have to explain everything. You are painting a picture. On television, you're captioning. And so on radio, for instance, a home run, you might say the left fielder, you know, Brooks is back at the track. He nears the wall. He leaps at the wall. 
just past his outstretched glove and gone. While on television, I might just say, Brooks going back. And this game is tied. I can caption it because the viewer can see it. So these are all the quick choices. Um, and I'm just talking about highlights. Then, you know, you have just the normal flow of the game. And that's the test to me of a really good broadcaster when it's 10-1 in the seventh inning. How am I bringing in stories to keep the viewer or listener engaged? Um, the balance of statistics versus the human interest story. You know, these are all things. The beauty of live sports, Roger, is you can't predict it. Right. And so on a Friday night when Binghamton's playing New Hampshire, it could be the chance of a no-hitter in which we're obviously going to go one direction or a 20-to-1 game in which we're going to go the other direction. And even in that 20-to-1 game, I forgot which game it was. It was a blowout. And my partner and I were in a lighter discussion. And then a guy got hit in the head. And so you have to change the tone immediately. You're not going to go back to talking about, you know, what's your favorite, uh, you know, cookie. Right. Uh, so these are just the, all the different things that are going on in the course of a broadcast. Wow. And is it difficult to change from radio to television? And would you say most professionals focus on one or the other? That's a good question. I don't think it's difficult. You know, radio, you really have the independent freedom there's a producer but they're there to get you in and out of breaks um give you spots to read and that's at the highest levels uh you know we're sort of engineering our own broadcasts at the binghamton you know for our games television i'm going to be doing a binghamton game tonight there's a producer a director a whole crew and you're incorporating not just their input but in ways they're it's the direction they want to go you can't uh, just go into a story and they don't have the ability to pivot to the images to support that story. So you're really working in tandem. I think a lot of guys these days do both, um, particularly with just the Internet. It would be hard to come into this career and say, I'm only going to do radio because you'd just be limiting your opportunities. Um, so I think, you know, I and Eagle, to go back to him, does – radio on Westwood One and then does television as well. Kenny Albert, uh, who I'm fortunate to, to call a friend, does the same thing. I think, you know, it's rare where you have someone that's exclusively in one medium versus the other, but they are uh, quite different. Who would you say today is at the highest level as far as being respected in the industry as, as in baseball mm. uh, as far as an, uh, a broadcaster is concerned? Is it a Joe Buck? I think Joe Buck is, is, you know, I mean, I think I really enjoy the broadcast. Uh, just the way, again, not just the highlights, but the way he'll acknowledge a writer that passed away um, or, you know, interweave from one topic to another. Um, you know, I think Joe is, is certainly extraordinarily respected. I enjoy listening to a lot of the local broadcasts. Uh, you know, someone like Gary Cohen and Michael Kay in New York, someone like Dwayne Kuyper in San Francisco, um, you know, Jason Benetti in, in Chicago. I mean, these guys are all doing a great job. Uh, obviously, you think of Nance and Michaels and Buck and they're the preeminent Ian and Kenny. But, um, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of good work being done um, and, and certainly people to emulate, too. So let's talk about preparation. When we, as consumers of, of these games, let, sit back and watch and listen, it's just, you know, it's, it's part of just what happens, whereas we don't know what, what's going yeah. on behind the scenes, right. the prep work to get ready for a game. So can you take us into that a little bit, the science of it, the, the actual um, note-taking that you may do, the... You know, you may have to be ready for certain situations. I know nothing about it, but yeah. would love to learn something today about yeah. how that Yeah, and it's that funny because it's so intuitive. You think, I would feel naked doing the broadcast without the preparation. And I think any good broadcaster, myself included, I never feel prepared enough. There's still one more. Could I get that one more article in before yes. our pregame at 6.55 yeah. uh, or 6.35? You know, so if, for me to give you an example of a home game um, for the Rumble Ponies, it starts the moment I walk in. Because even though we have a lot of media relations duties, um, if you're doing it right, it sort of is just natural preparation for the broadcast. So when we're putting together game notes, that's giving you a lot of information 
that you might be able to use later. I might see, for instance, that uh, we're playing uh, Portland, let's say, and they are first in stolen bases. We are, Ali Sanchez, our catcher, is first in throwing runners out. So I'm going to look and have that in the back of my mind when they get a runner on and when they try to steal. That's the beauty. The, you, don't, you end up using, give or take, hard to put a number on it, 15 to 20% at most of the preparation. So you go in knowing that. Um, and the ability and, and the challenge, I think, as a broadcaster, as, as you grow, initially you want to dump it all out. Let me show you how much prep I've done. The skill is interweaving it at just the right moment. Um, so that those in, the, in ways the game notes helps with the nuts and bolts and the storylines and my assistant and I will talk about trends with the team. The preparation continues. I always watch the MLB scoreboard from the night before. There's a, this fast cast that's on MLB.com that is in my head. Uh, there's some certain segments we know we're going to have an out-of-town scoreboard in the Eastern League. That's the league that the Rumble Ponies play in. And so I might look at the standings and things like that. And then The Athletic, for instance, which is a terrific publication. There's some stories that are just going to pique my interest there. I'll read those. Um, when I talk with my manager, our manager, uh, Kevin Bowles, it was this past year. I mean, I'm getting a lot of information from that. We do five minutes or so on tape and then uh, can talk for as long as he wants to talk. as much. <laughs> as, and he, he's very generous with his time. Um, and that's going to help me. I'm going to ask him questions uh, from the night before. Just curious. You know, the big thing that I am always going to be is curious. Um, and so that happens when I'm down on the field with the guys during batting practice, picking their brain about questions. A lot of it you get from just observing. Um, hey, this guy was hitting balls out of the park in batting practice. That's interesting. Uh, and then we always have a pregame interview. Sometimes it is uh, or the first game of every series. It's our manager, uh, Bullsey. And then the other games of the series, it's a player, it's another coach, it's someone. But there's a lot of casual conversations that are going on uh, during the course of the day, talking with the opposing broadcaster. How are you guys playing? You know, what's, what's the mindset? And wow. so... It's coming from all... Yes. Sources. Yes. All and, different sources. And then what I do is I take notes from... I take what I like the most from the game notes, and I put it into my scorebook which is also part of the preparation, writing the lineups, uh, filling out my defensive alignments at chart, and I'll show you it in, in, the, in the scorebook. And that's the Bible at the end of the day. Everything has to sort of fit. And the rest of it you just absorb um, because there's not a lot of time in between you know, pitches. We don't have a statistician, so you've got to find the information quickly. Mm -hmm. I could only imagine, and, and things are happening lightning speed right you know first and second two out okay here comes the lefty now we'll have time during that break to see his numbers um you know and then you better be ready to go how important is it to stay neutral mm -hmm. as a broadcaster uh we hear about oh this guy's a homer you know or, <laughs> right. you know does that play into your thinking um in you know when you, when you're at this level at the at the double a level yeah, I think it's more my background. Coming from New York, you're always going to see a Mets or Yankees broadcast or any professional broadcast from a New York or from that team's perspective, but it's not going to be biased in a way where terms like we are being used or, you know. It doesn't just, cross that it line. It doesn't cross that line. So I view it as I'm giving the perspective of the Rumble Ponies fan but you have to be able to call a great defensive play on the other end with excitement. Um, if we're playing uh, Erie and they hit a walk-off home run, I mean, you can't be uh, comatose <laughs> during it. So I view it as a, a pretty down-the-middle broadcast uh, coming from the perspective uh, of Binghamton. Um, now, if you're on Fox or you're on CBS, then you're right down the middle. Right. Uh, if you're on a local broadcast like Yes or SNY or um, a regional network that's broadcasting the games for a team, then again, I think you're telling it from uh, the perspective of that team's fan base. Sure. And you're, you're paid by the, the team, right? You work for the team. Yes, but to, to, to their credit, um, and this wasn't something we discussed, and I think my predecessor, Tim, 
um, who did an amazing job, you know, sort of had the same mindset. We're both from Long Island as well. Uh, they have never said be more, you know, favorable or show more energy one way or the other. Uh, and maybe in certain markets it's different, but I think I've never heard anything from fans that you're being too uh, energized or, or too excited for the other side. It's an educational exp- – the idea is to be informative and entertaining. And so if someone's driving home from work, if someone's listening at home, are they getting something out of the broadcast? I don't think people are deciphering the – you know, what's his bias? You know, what's right. his angle? But it is something that comes up that a good, a broad, plenty of broadcasters will say uh, at a network level, you know, if they're doing Cowboys, Eagles or something, that they know they've done a good job when fans of both teams say that they're biased towards the other side. And so then, then you're in a different arena where the stakes or the scrutiny is more intense. And I'm not um, underplaying that, but... Uh, yeah, that's why a lot of broadcasters will say that as well, which uh, is a funny way of uh, being affirmed that you're doing a good job. No, that's a great point. So let's talk about what it takes to be a leader mm-hmm. in your work. Um, how important is that for the you know people that might be coming up and under you? You know, as far as training under you um, and those looking up to you as a you know potential career. I think it's being a leader. And how you handle yourself in general, it's very important. To use my experience as an example, with the Rumble Ponies, this is my first time yet, yeah, it says director in my title, but this is the first time in a while where I really have had someone under me uh, that it, you know, I'm in charge of, and that's my assistant, Ian Sachs, who did a great job this past year, and where I direct him, you know, here's what we want to do, here's how we want the media relations to look, here's you know, certain elements of the broadcast, and just interacting and you know, sort of being the liaison between a lot of people in general, not to mention doing the broadcast. At places like WFAN, where I worked for seven years, or Sirius XM, where I was at for about the same time, um, I was always, I think leadership's very interesting. I was always very cognizant of the different cultures within the two places um, and just the structure. And you had to understand these were our big organizations. So just a lot of different ways that things got done. Um, but I think I took from a lot of the different places I was at, even if it was just a producer I worked with. I really liked working with him or eh, that, that rubbed me the wrong way. And I was always taking notice. But when I got this job, Roger, it all happened quickly. The first two months I was on my own anyway. So to me, um, th- you know, it, there are simple gestures, even just saying you're out to get coffee, asking, you know, my assistant, hey, do you need a coffee? You know, just simple gestures. You want to show people that they're appreciated, particularly in this business where there's long hours. We're getting in at around 10 o'clock and then leaving at a, in, in the morning and leaving maybe, you know, past 11 at night. Um, it's a lot of fun, but you have to be just sensitive to the, the word grinds overused. Our manager hated it. So I'll, I'll say the day-to-day intensity of a baseball season. And so, um, and that goes to interacting with the players as well. It goes to asking how their families are, uh, asking if everything's okay, you know, uh, asking, you know, when their wife is expecting. You know, you want to show in general that people aren't just objects. They're not just in the way to get to whatever you have to do, that you're engaged with them, that there's a connection. Um, and how you, how you establish that connection can vary. Um, but the big thing is handling yourself with integrity. And that's something that came from, from my family. I mean, my dad's in insurance. And so I always learned that's a business where it's very referral-based and where you have to build trust with people. You're asking them for very personal information. And he is able to do that very well. And not in a conniving way, but just a genuine way. And so I think if you're genuine, a lot of the other elements take care of itself. But to me, it's evolving as well. You know, I'm always reading books about, you know, ways different people lead. And, you know, some of them are the well-knowns, the Dale Carnegie or Stephen Covey and Seven Effective Habits of Highly Effective People. I just think it's, it's a constant process. All of this is a constant process, not to be too profound, but where you're, you're looking to improve and get better. And uh, another element of my job is obviously dealing with the 
uh, our our media coverage. Um, mm -hmm. And so, it's unique for me. I come from being a journalist. I'd like to say I'm not doing 60 minute stories per se, or that's not my background. But you know, you just try to be as transparent as you can when we're dealing with a local affiliate or et cetera. You know, and going about executing a story, or if it's a national affiliate and uh, hopefully they feel we're doing a good job. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's just, it, it's, it's so refreshing to hear you talk about this because it, no matter what business you're in, relationships, yep. leadership, it's, it's, it's important, right? It, it's, it's really important. And I'd love to know the relationship that you have with the players, you know, the, the access. Do you have full access? Um, do you develop friendships? Do you try not to take it too far? Like, where does, where right. do you draw the line there in, in, you know, building a strong relationship with the players? Because I'm sure they come and go as well. Um, but also where they can trust you um, to the point where they're, they're willing to give you some information that might be helpful for your job. The trust takes time. I don't think there's a way to fast track through it. You know, I came into this job from a job that was in broadcasting but wasn't in baseball. Um, and so there was no one on the team besides one that who I knew casually that could you know really vouch for me at the beginning. And so the onus was really on me um, to develop, you know, and Tim, my predecessor, I think, you know, had laid the groundwork to make it as smooth a transition as possible. But the onus at the end of the day is, is on me to show up for them to say, he's not going to make me look bad in a broadcast. One of the ways I developed relationships um, and I think was a good way is in our pregame interviews. To me, those are not just let's get Jan for five minutes and done. I think the preparation is key as in all elements of the broadcast, but really getting to know them. I think a lot of people may have interviewed them in the past and either they got burned or they're looking for a story or a certain angle, but they're not listening. Mm -hmm. And so the least I can do is listen um, and take the time even once the interview is done just to get to know them and yes they can obviously say on the record off the record but hopefully and I think there's a skill of mine I know either how to package something into where it's arable uh, I'm not gonna throw them under the bus just, even if they said something and it was off you know they didn't say off the record um, I think it's just it's knowing um, hey I don't want to um, do anything that would sabotage my relationship with a player or the access that I don't take for granted. I mean, we're allowed, we're probably, you know, not everyone on staff is, but we're allowed to be in that clubhouse, to do our jobs well, um, to grab a player for an interview or an obligation he might have. And so I don't take that access for granted. Um, and I think it's a matter of even just showing up at batting practice. You know, baseball's a game of familiarity. So I think, I, I joke, I took one weekend off. The team encouraged me. They said, "Take you know, give yourself a break for a weekend." So it was a good opportunity for um, uh, my assistant to get to do a road trip. I got ragged on for taking that weekend off. I thought they wouldn't even notice Roger. <laughs> I said, "I'm not important. I'm, I'm, I'm a little cog in the in the wheel here." They missed oh, you. Well, I don't want to go too far. <laughs> they knew I wasn't there. Uh, it might have been their their best weekend. Um, they 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 noticed though. It's funny, even in a sport where you have players moving up and down, there's certain constants. And so you see, and, and when I say access as well, I mean, that includes just seeing uh, them in the hotel in the morning, you know, saying hi, uh, seeing them when we come back at night, being on the bus. Um, and so I do take the sanctity of those environments very seriously. And uh, to me, it's, you know, as close to sort of confidential as it, as it gets. And is there uh, somewhat of a respect as far as you're there, but you, you keep a little bit of distance? Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, in, in Binghamton, it's, it's a small enough town where you run into to people around town. Um, but I would think, yeah, most, most nights, um, you know, guys go and do their own thing. And, you know, maybe I do something with another staff member or the other team's broadcaster. Um, so, yeah, I think... 
it's it's there's no buffer the way there is if you were covering the Yankees. You know, you wouldn't be uh, exchanging social calendars uh, right. with Aaron Judge or something. But then again, there's relationships that are formed there that are social. You know, there it's a long way of saying there's not a rule book or one line. I think you have to know what's ethical, and if you develop a relationship or friendship with a player, I think it's understood. But that you have to be, they understand you have to be fair um, once you're on the air. Uh, that that integrity matters for their sake too, or else you're just being a shill. Um, so you, by nature, develop relationships with players, and you might share common interests. So you listen to this podcast, I listen to this. But I think so far, it's sort of that you know professional distance. Uh, that's probably a good way to put it. And on your career trajectory, if you will, where does this job rank? Well, this has been a huge break in my career, and I don't say that lightly. Uh, I wanted to do play-by-play on a daily basis. I had wonderful experiences at FAN and Sirius XM. And, um, CBS as well. CBS Sports Radio. Uh, and all that sort of led up to, to this. But these are not easy jobs to get. Um, and so I'm grateful to be in this position. Um, and to me, you know, certainly I have further ambitions, but this is what I'm focused on. And so my old, someone named Sweeney Murdy, who covers the Yankees for WFAN, told me this years ago when I interviewed him in college. You can't be, you can't expect to be promoted in a position if you're not doing a good job at the role you're, you're already in. Well, not just that, but I really enjoy the role I'm already in. I mean, we're hosting the All-Star Game next year, Roger. I mean, uh, the plate is full on a daily basis, and being it, it doesn't matter if you're at Yankee Stadium or at Niseg Stadium or at City Field. When you're at 5 o'clock hanging out with a guy at batting practice uh, and just watching, you know, guys throw the ball around, it's all the same, you know. I mean, there's nothing like it. You know what, and I'm so glad you, you, you answered it as you did, so genuine, because I hear this same response from professionals at all levels. You know, the Colin Cowherds, or who said the same thing you just said. When I was there, I was living in that moment because that's what I love to do. If you're getting ahead of yourself, if you're here at the Rumble Ponies, but you're thinking about being in New York, then you're not present. You're really not doing your job to the best of your ability for yourself and for those who you're serving. So that's great to hear, and that is the sign of a true professional. So, you know, congrats to you. Thank you. At, you know, you're 31. Right. You know, you're... you're you're hitting your stride, and, and congratulations on the job because Thank you. they're not easy to get. No. Um, a very good friend of mine works for Major League Baseball but uh, uh, helps run the operations for Minor League Baseball in New York, and he goes around all around the country to all the different, and he tells me how competitive it is. But if you're good and you get that break, um, it could be you know the start of something wonderful for your for your own personal career. Yeah, and it's fun to be at the different ballparks as well. I mean, one of the, it's funny, there's always, there's so much uh, discussion about analytics in baseball. Um, and certainly understanding the numbers and then the biggest challenge, being able to process them uh, in a way that's cohesive for the audience um, is one part. But just walking, going into a new city and explaining to the listeners that night Oh yeah, and you know we're in Portland, and uh, you know what a great whatever you know craft brewery scene they have, or sure. uh, whatever that you know you run into someone on the street, and this festival's going on. I mean, the chance to go to some of these towns in the Eastern League are really terrific: Portland, Manchester, New Hampshire, um, Akron, Richmond. You know, really interesting places. And again, that goes to my natural curiosity uh, when we're on the road. Uh, I always do a walk at least once a series through a ballpark. Hartford, you know, amazing uh, venue. Um, and that goes back to, I'm darting around here, but leadership as well, how you interact with the other broadcasters. You know, when we have teams to the park, I sort of call our role, we're like a hostess, uh, you know, making sure they have all the information, um, wireless internet, all these things that they may need. And, and to me, you're always being judged. Um, Tim told me something, and we agree on this um, full board, you know, you can drop off a stat pack on a desk. You can just leave it there. 
but we believe in make sure it's straight, make sure everything's organized, the little details, and then that leads to people saying, you know what, that was a good, when we go to Binghamton, things are taken care of. So I thank you for the kind, for the kind words, and, and uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, and are you able to share with us uh, a little bit about how the process happened? How did you land this job? What went into it? Can you talk about the interview process? Again, <laughs> this is educational yeah. uh, as far as we're trying to help people become their best self. So right. whether they're applying for a job as a broadcaster or becoming you know, a, an, an intern um, you know, at, a, at an investment firm in New York, some of the same principles apply. Can you talk a little bit about the opportunity, what to do, what not to do? Absolutely. And I think when I chuckled, it was uh, not because of, of the validity of your question, but the way I got this position was very unique. At the same time, as you got to the latter half of the question, it's a telltale sign of principles that would go across multiple industries. So I've known Tim Hyman, my predecessor, dating back to when I was with the Hudson Valley Renegades in the New York Penn League. I was doing the Hudson Valley Club. He was broadcasting games for the Auburn Double Days. And so we struck up, you know, as, as I just talked about, developing a relationship with the other broadcasters. Um, and uh, so we got to know each other at that point. Then I did Stony Brook women's basketball games. He did Binghamton women's basketball games. So I've been to Binghamton quite a few times, and Tim and I would meet for lunch or a drink after the game. And... You know, and the, we'd always stay in touch, uh, and through the latter years, um, excuse me, we, you know, would talk about, hey, I'm looking about getting into baseball, you know, more consistently, doing more consistent play-by-play. And Tim might mention a few places where there were openings, and he was generous enough to put in a good word at certain places. <clears throat> and I was watching the uh, – so this all leads up to this past April. I'm watching – a hockey playoff game at a friend's house, uh, get home, 10.30 or so. And uh, Tim had reached out and, you know, said that there may be an opening in the broadcast booth. Um, and I didn't realize it was his position. <laughs> and so the, we spoke the next day uh, or, or we corresponded the next day, and this happened very quickly. I've had job searches that have gone on for months with multiple interviews and that sort of thing. I spoke with our um, assistant GM the next day. Tim was nice enough, or uh, our GM, I should say, and our owner uh, the next day. Tim was nice enough to put in a good word, and the deal was basically done that night. Uh, because obviously it was unique, the timing of it being while the season was going on. Um, and by the end of the week, you know, we were full board in the transition mode. At the same time, so most things wouldn't happen that quickly. But what is very, you know, luck is the residue of hard work or just putting time into relationship building. Networking always seems a little too mechanical for me. So uh, Tim and I had a very or have a very genuine relationship, but obviously all those years and, you know, staying on his radar and leading to whether he knew it was coming or an unexpected, you know, situation for him, I w was well positioned sort of, you know, waiting on the sideline, and uh, that's how it happened. And, um, you know, so, so that's, that's sort of a unique situation, but also just goes back to that telltale relationship building we talked about. What a great story. And it sounds like the, uh, the owner mm -hmm. really took his recommendation to heart. Yes, yes. It was, and, it was certainly uh, it was not a casual recommendation, and so I'll be forever grateful to Tim for that. So what's your mindset now? You're here, uh, you went through your first season. Um, what happens off-season? You mentioned the All-Star Game right. is being hosted here next year. I'm sure that has a lot more prep work in itself. Will you call that game? What, how does that all that work? I believe so. Uh, I think, you know, we haven't had gone into formal discussions, but I think, yes, that, that's the plan. That's traditionally been the uh, the host city's broadcaster calls the game, uh, and I know more details will come out as we get closer. But it's funny, Roger, because it will certainly be an easier year 
in that I'm coming in as much, and Tim gave me all these videos and tutorials and was accessible. I mean, I was taking over a championship operation here. I mean, this was like Belichick decided to retire, you know, (laughs) just, you know, keep things afloat and don't, don't screw it up. Um, but one of the things for it's, it's always going to be a little bit easier, you know, you build trust within the community. I'm happy that I'm up here in the off season. I thought that was important to continue to really get to know the community you're in, to immerse myself. Spoke to the Booster Club this week, who have been nice enough to have me speak to them a couple of times, our Rumble Ponies Booster Club, getting to a Devils game. Again, just getting to know people. At the same time, we're hosting an All-Star game next year. So talk about uh, challenging yourself just by nature of the circumstances. I'm just trying to get ahead. I was... Uh, speaking with one of our front office members about, uh, you know, sort of our media relations plan uh, and um, engaging different uh, network stations, you know, how we're going to go about doing that um, leading up to the leading up to the game. And then it's just getting ahead of things like uh, literature, media guides, et cetera. I like to get ahead of things. You know? uh, I could tell. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Uh, I get ahead of myself sometimes. Um so as much as we can bite off, uh, you know, as we get closer to the season, I'm certainly eager to do so. But it's also been fun to, and I'm doing, you know, some stuff with Colgate. I have a Binghamton match I'm doing. Uh, certainly excited to work on some other projects. But um, things will slow down in that there's not the game every day. Uh, but it doesn't slow down in terms of the workload uh, leading into next year. And that's great. And are you going into the office every day? I don't go in every day. Uh, actually, I don't do anything, Roger. I just lounge, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> it's all a force. Uh, but I do a lot of work from, my, from home, and I go in, you know, a couple of times a week. Uh, and the rest of the time I have lunch with Bill Orband, you know, who's uh, very generous. Now, um, Sounds like a great work week. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, but there's, you know, when you're doing a game, uh, to use this Binghamton soccer match as an example, it's, it's a week you know, long preparation sort of thing. So uh, a lot of broadcasters don't have, even at the highest level, it's not like they're going into an office. Um, It takes time to prepare for a game. And, uh, yeah, so. But are you officially on the books year-round? Not on the books year-round. Okay. Uh, And that's, is that standard in the industry? It varies. So if you wanted to do something else in this time period, you can or you may. Yes. I see. Yes. There's that flexibility. That's great. Yeah. But, I, I'm, you know, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. It, it would be hard, I would think, to enjoy a game in itself, right? Are you always thinking about what they're saying versus When I'm watch- watching? Yes. It, it can be. We were talking, I think, off air of, like, the, the actor that's, you know, watching movies and right. just can't take it. Yeah. Um, and and I, I relate when someone says they can't watch themselves. Sometimes, like, you know, when you're updating your reel, it's like, eh, I really don't. Right. You know, and there's all these things that... You pick up on that no one else would know, and you just realize the circumstances uh, of a game. Um, but no, I, I still enjoy the games. You know, I have teams. You know that I have an interest. You know, I can sort of separate the fan side uh, versus the broadcast side. Uh, and live sports is great. I mean, whether you're watching for your fantasy team a football game on a Sunday or. Uh, the World Series is going on right now, um, or college football, you know, or Penn State, Michigan State later. Um, the energy of the crowd, I mean, uh, you have to, it's, it's not an industry where you work. It's, it's certainly a job, don't get me wrong, but you almost live it. Uh, and look, there's certainly a, hell, a balance of turning uh, that switch off. And even if it's I do yoga, you know, uh, on a weekly basis, I go to the gym. But, um, it is sort of more of a lifestyle, just, and I like reading a lot, you know, and not just in the sports realm. I think it's important to be well-rounded. I don't want to, you know, there's, if you can talk about baseball, but you can't hold a normal conversation outside of it, I, I think I'm a better broadcaster because I can bring in outside things. I'm reading a book by Elvis Duran, who mm. is syndicated here, actually, yes, from the, the morning show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so it's just interesting, similar to, to this show, to learn about different people's paths. And uh, I think even when you it, – it's similar path – when I hear comedians talk, you know, you're evaluating just the way things come together, uh, the way you craft jokes. I mean, it's, it's – the entertainment world is just an interesting world uh, in general. So, um, yeah, I, I still yeah, I still enjoy it immensely. And do you view your – 
your craft as an art? Oh, yes. Yes. Because I was reading a book um, called Grit by Angela Duckworth, and she talked about uh, your work having purpose, meaning, you know, and sometimes it's easier to quantify. A social worker is tangibly helping people. Uh, my sister does social work, so that came to mind first, you know, get directed to resources, a therapist or, or a doctor is helping people get better. So I thought, well, what does a broadcaster do besides my own fulfillment of doing these games and how fun it is? So, but what I realized is, you know, people, they listen to you before they go to bed at night. You're improving their trip to the office. You're improving what might be a 45-minute car ride to the doctor. Um, and you're enhancing people's enjoyment of the game. So there's an art in that, and a lot of it goes back to what we talked about in terms of the mechanics and that rhythm, you know. It's like music is an art. Uh, the same thing for broadcasting. You know, anything where you're crafting, whether you're creating the image on radio or supplementing the image on television, uh, certainly there's, it's, an, it's an art form. And it's, and it's such a big part of our culture, right? mm -hmm. sports in general, and broadcasting, and you know, whether we grew up, you know, listening to, like me, Phil Rizzuto with the Yankees, yep. it's just, it becomes a part of, of who we are. And my, our piece in the industry, play-by-play, play, and I enjoy interviewing as well, but it's just one slice of it. I mean, you look at Bill Simmons and his podcast, yes. or, uh, the, and things are constantly evolving. Uh, you know, something like the success of a Bleacher Report, it's evolving in a way that's really exciting and that's going to open up opportunities uh so for for your viewers and listeners that that are are hearing this i mean the idea of a social media manager being a job was unheard of a decade right. ago and now that's a full-time job and and 100%. no slouch of a job either so right. um th there are just so many different pieces of the pie and the big thing is to find your passion you don't have to know it immediately but even in the in the sports world whether it's Ticket sales, marketing, PR, you know, I mean, there's so many elements, um, and, and so it's exciting to see where things are going to go. And speaking of that, a uh, couple of thoughts I have. There's a lot of careers in sports, right? Mm -hmm. And new careers are emerging based on what you said, whether it's the tech side with social media or eSports. Right. I mean, there's <laughs> things happening now that right. didn't exist 10 years ago, 5 years ago. If someone's looking for a career in sports or, or they want a successful career in sports, maybe they're coming out of college, as you did, or maybe they're looking for a job change, what recommendations would you have? Hmm. You know, well, eSports, it's funny because uh, my cousin's wife works for Real Sports, HBO's Real Sports, and she did a story on eSports. And initially I thought, all right, you know, that's sort of obscure. And look at the money that has been invested uh, by networks. Um, and so I think the overall theme, uh, and I even tell people, look at the production side of sports. I mean, to me, that's really interesting. Or the programming side. How does Fox decide how they're going to slot games? And I think all that's fascinating. Right. Uh, what region's going to get a certain game? There's a lot of different... Marketing. Um, mar yeah. Merchandise. There's so much. Right, right. Uh, and community relations. I think from the broadcast standpoint, the essence of the broadcast in live sports is only growing because it's not DVRable. Yeah, I could, in the smartphone era, it's hard to not find out the results of a game, you know, within 24 hours. Right. Uh, so the, um, the art of what we're, or the, the, the content in ways is similar from a live game presentation, but where it's being consumed has changed. Think of Thursday Night Football, Amazon is involved on the streaming side. I was listening to Amy Schumer's podcast. It's on Spotify. Um, at, you know, Audible even for, they may not be so new, but the way people are consuming books. So if I were to give one piece of advice, and Lord knows I'm not the brightest bulb in the socket, but, uh, you know, I'd just be aware of these emerging platforms and just even being perceptive of, oh, I'm, I'm, watching or reading or looking at something through this lens or through through this platform. But at the end of the day, again, it, not to be um, redundant, if your passion, think of even print journalism. 
I know p newspapers, it, it's a tough time, but there are plenty of places for good work um, online, you know, uh, and through apps. Um, and so, you know, I think I'm an optimist in general, uh, but I, I think there's a lot of different ways to get your work out. Even YouTube, you know, um, it certainly changed from a local people that want to be anchors. It used to be, you know, you started in market 155 and went to market 75. That still certainly can happen, but you can also be, a, you know, Bleacher Report or, you know, a digital outfit um, or just people get noticed. I'm not a huge social media guy, but they get noticed by, you know, YouTube hits or something like that and ESPN, you know, signs you. So it's just a lot of different things going on and that's something to the free plug for, for Penn State. They're, they're always talking about and I, I'm always amazed, you know, they're always sort of tracking these trends. I get I'm caught up in the day-to-day -day of just knowing, you know, so-and-so's batting average, and that's more my bread and butter. But certainly being well-read is a big thing, uh, you know, just whether it's trade sites or something. Just being aware of what's going on informs a lot of what I do on a daily basis. And where do you get most of your news from? It varies. Uh, do you have one source that you... There's a couple of, uh, like, from a media standpoint, Neil Best of Newsday. Uh, Do you have to have a subscription media. for that? or I, I'll, I'll see the links on Twitter, uh, or okay. my parents subscribe to Newsday. Uh, you know, so, yeah, access it online. Uh, I mean, that's just a local paper. Uh, Sports Business Journal is a subscription base, but a lot of the content's put out for free on Twitter as well, uh, and you see, see links. Um, the Athletic, which I, I subscribe to, uh, I get a lot of content through. Um, and a lot of these places link to, you know, if it's baseball, you want to check out Ken Rosenthal, you know, and he'll link to a lot of different interesting stories. Um, Media Bistro sends a daily email that I occasionally read that will tell you about more, you know, it's more newsy. Uh, and I think politics is very interesting as well, and that's a whole different ballgame. And I should say, your interest, you don't have to be just focused on sports. I mean, I think some people would rather someone that's coming from outside the sports world. Um, yeah. You can always teach someone the nuts and bolts, you know, but you can't teach someone a wealth of knowledge. Um, so uh, Synopsis uh, is another site that sends a daily email. So those are just interesting ways to, to hear about things. But um, I, I try to keep it pretty diverse. I like, I mean, some of it's more habitual. I enjoy I'll watch CBS Sunday morning, or I like reading the New York Times on a Sunday uh, online. Uh, so um, those are just things I enjoy doing, uh, time permitting. What about technology? How have you seen technology impact the industry over the last, say, 10 years? Because it's, it's happening, happening so rapidly, right. right? Things are changing so fast. And how does that impact your job when you're in that booth, if any? I mean, we post updates on Twitter and we do videos for YouTube and things after the game. But again, those are just different ways of putting out content. Uh, at the end of the day, it's about the storytelling to me, so I don't think it influences it uh, that much. I think the art, play-by-play, -play, it's not immune to it. Uh, and you see baseball does a game on Facebook Live, you know, every week. But they're using MLB Network broadcasters, you know, for it. So it's not like a, a tectonic shift. Um, I see. So, you know, in, in my job, one of the things we didn't talk about is the um, relationship I have with the Mets, our parent club. Talk about um, leadership and, you know, how you handle yourself. Uh, we approve almost all our interview requests outside of the local media through them, and I have a very good relationship with them. Um, and are in constant contact with them, whether there's a story about a player or something like that, uh, and even roster transactions. So that, that's why we're talking about technology, but I'm thinking a lot of this stuff is pretty nuts and bolts, um, you know, even just getting stuff onto the website. But the roster transaction part is an interesting part that your viewers might um, enjoy in that, you know, we, there, you're always, yeah, it's like a puzzle. The roster has to be 25. Uh, so... You know, sometimes there may be more than 25 active players. Okay. And so, uh, you know, we have to handle that with care. You don't want to get ahead of a player being informed about something. Mm -hmm. um, you don't want to be uh, 
have them hearing the news based on so someone else telling them besides our manager. So a lot of these things are taken with care as well. And then every time we do a roster transaction and it's official, we print out new rosters uh, and that gets distributed to um, our press box, the coaches, um, whoever really needs it. So those things are fairly technology proof, um, but are a big part of the job. So much that goes into this. Yeah. It's yeah. just a fascinating industry. Well, look, this has been, this has been wonderful. Uh, I, I really appreciate you sharing a, a piece of your story with us today. My pleasure. I would love to have you back again because I think people are going to want to know more from you in the future. And I said to you when we were communicating yeah. before you came on, I, and, I'm, and I mean this, I, there's just certain people when you hear their voice and watch their work, you say, that guy's going places, and, and, I'm, and I'm honored to have you on the show because I know 10 years from now, whatever the five years from now, whatever it is, you're going to be up in the bigs, and I, I can't wait to see that happen and, and just watch you progress um, in your career. So thanks so much. Oh, thank you, Roger. I, I appreciate the kind words and would be happy to come on again. Honored to be on the show and uh, really appreciate uh, you having us spend this time together. Great. But one last question before yes. I let you go. <laughs> I ask every guest. Yes. And you're young, so you have a lot of years ahead. But maybe you think about this, maybe you don't. What do you want your legacy to be? Hmm. Well, I am young, Roger. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to write my uh, eulogy yet. <laughs> um, I think it goes back to the, the you treat people well. Uh, you know, just in general. Care about the work from a professional standpoint. Do you treat people well? Uh, and just we didn't even get into, you know, non-broadcast parts. You know, whether it's being there for a friend, being there as a brother, uh, you know, all the different facets. Uh, I think, you know, you want to treat people the way you want to be treated. Fantastic. Jacob, thank you so much. Welcome to the American Real family. And like I said, we'll be watching closely and listening. <laughs> Thanks, Roger. Appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for tuning into American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review, as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one -on -one coaching, check out the American Real Learning Academy, where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we could help. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. And speaking of podcasting, our next course will be starting soon. So if you're interested in launching your own podcast, join me and podcast your passion. I'll take you through my eight-week course where I'll mentor you to build a world-class podcast. I'm only taking on a small group of people who want to share their passion through broadcasting, where I'll have you up on iTunes and YouTube within weeks so you can podcast your passion. Click on the link below for more information. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.